Welcome to Tibetan Cultural Exchange, the only podcast that is searching for things that aren't there and ignoring things that are. I can't believe we become just like everyone else. Nothing lasts forever. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're talking about Season 3, Episode 7, entitled Chapter 33. Uh, This is the one where it has the beautiful sand sculpture painting, whatever it is. sand mandala. Sand art. That's what it's called. The sand mandala? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that... Are you making that up? Nope. Nope. I did some research. It's true? Yep. Oh, boy. Okay, cool. That that thing is amazing. It is very cool. And they're, the principal thing of the artwork is it's always ritually destroyed and dumped into running water at the end. Yeah. yeah. And it can take, as, as it shows, uh, it can take weeks and sometimes months, depending on its size of coordinated efforts from many monks to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's very beautiful. impressive. It's beautiful. I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Like... I'm super surprised that they haven't uh, some someone hasn't paid enough money to like uh, cover it with resin and hang it up on a wall someplace. <laughs> they do allow you to take photographs of it. Though. Apparently so. so. I was kind of yeah. surprised. Like I would I would wonder whether the monks. Oh, I wonder how the monks feel about that because the whole thing is a meditation. I guess it's 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 in it's done for meditation and to promote like you know peace and introspection and meditation and harmony. Yeah. No. It's. Su- and the destruction is all is is to teach the monks a lesson in humility and the in, in the temperance uh, of life. So it's I feel like okay. the, the the monks like are smile like pretty tight lipped smiles as people are taking a picture <laughs> of it because it's like you're missing the whole fucking point. Uh huh. It, it's one of the few forms of artwork that I've seen that is beautiful both in the finished product and the construction of it. Sure. Like I can't think of a procedure that is more uh, just impressive and takes more you know i i guess in some ways courage and also yeah. just patience and dedication sure it's unbelievable i mean everything has to be precise and unhurried but you know coordinated and combined and, there's... and knowing that all these efforts are going to be destroyed afterward yeah. is yeah whew. yeah it's like i was impressed i i was too i guess you start because i was like man where do you start in on that because like what happens if someone just fucks something up do you just like scribble, scribble, scribble and start over? Or do I guess you can just, just keep laying shit on top until you get it right? It's kind of like painting in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. But like, are there apprentice ones? Like, there's like a little six inch one you start with and oh, yeah. you work up to like my first mandala and then uh-huh. you, you keep going. You said during the cast or during the episode that it was essentially the coloring book of it's, it's a, the Tibetan monks. It's a spiritual coloring book. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's ex- exactly what it is. Good stuff. All right. So, who made this episode? Uh, this episode was directed by John Dahl, who blew us away in last week's episode of Justified, The Hunt. Um, oh, okay. I really, really like his direction mm-hmm. on that one. And, uh, you know, I want to call out also the scene where Claire says she watched the thing for over an hour. Uh-huh. I had a really weird experience with that, where, like, I felt that it was a long time, but I was thinking about a lot of, like, meditative things as I was watching the scene and things <laughs> about my own life and make these connects. Did you... What did, did you have an experience like that? A little bit. I, I it was kind of transcendent. It felt like I, I blinked and the scene was over, but but at the same time, I was in my head during that, like you said. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking necessarily about my life and the consequences of my actions and and meditating on big things. But yeah, and I, then I it led to us like over lunch, we had this big long conversation about our own mortalities and stuff. Sure. Like it, I was not prepared for the seriousness of the jelly, and I feel like yep. John Dahl has a lot to be as you know the way they shot the angles and we got to Claire's POV as she was kind of looming over it and then got down to eye level and 
just the way he filmed the monks. You can see the individual, you know, Netflix can really bang it out when it comes to high def and you yep. can see the individual grains of sand locking together and it just was and i like how beautiful. They, it plays out over the course of the entire episode yeah it's it's not and just this, a scene it's the episode and this is such a desaturated palette mm-hmm. and for the scenes where this that's like very properly lit and everything is full sat it, it's it's uh like seeing color yeah uh, for the very first time when you when, when you're normally in black and white uh, it's written by bo wilmon Okay. Or Willamon. Wait, wait, who's he? No. He is the <laughs> yeah, executive producer creator of yeah. this joint. His hands are are deep in in this sand sculpture. He's all up in uh that is House of Cards. A uh Trippy from St. Louis in the forum said the theme for this episode is don't sneeze. <laughs> I was dreading because I'm like, oh God, Francis is gonna flip this fucking table over with <laughs> yeah. him and Claire being fighting. Like uh, I was waiting for it. I'm like, oh man, are we gonna be at war at the bet? Like, how does that even work? And then they kind of took it the other direction. Like, Frank Frank is not angry about this. I feel like this episode, in a lot of ways, is Frank coming to terms with some stuff about both his life and his presidency and his legacy. Yeah, seeing, that, seeing the FDRs, um, because that was uh-huh. the other kind of, like, thing that was happening during the Tibetan uh, painting scene. Yeah. As he was visiting the FDR memorial. Yep. And I thought that was kind of, you know, I've never even heard of the FDR memorial. <laughs> and I thought it was actually kind of cool and inspiring just walking through it in a documentary fashion on, on this show. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, they, they really hung on the, the quotes there on the walls. Yeah, it's like stuff like, it's kind of shock. It's some somewhat shocking that we are at this time in our nation, arguing about a lot of the ideals espoused. Like, you would think, I wonder what it was like when the, the um, you know, the New Deal was proposed. <laughs> I would like to get, like, a hardcore history of the of the history of the New yeah, Deal. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like, how, because this is, like, just straight-up socialism, communism, where there had never been any before. Uh-huh. In, in the midst of a depression and a world war starting and all that, I'm like, that... Christ, I can't imagine how you got something like that sh- uh, through Congress. Yeah, but uh, maybe it was very Frank esque, and that's probably why it's been. It's no one can fix it because that was like a one time confluence of events in history. Hmm. I don't know, but it's probably an amazing story in there somewhere. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I felt like in the House of Cards universe here, there is a very idealized public and a very idealized media and sure. even in a lot of ways a very idealized government here where frank just by sheer force of will that sounds funny can get people to understand his point and 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 say oh you're right yeah. instead of bickering and arguing and snapping back and forth at each other uh and it's really exemplified in the the scene we see from i, I don't know what show it is but it's a, a couple of political pundits um, and representatives. Oh yeah, talking. Press. Ta- yeah, talking back and forth about Amworks and about what it's done. And I don't feel like you would ever get those no, two sides I, to agree I just watch, on the basis that they are two opposing sides. That's one of the shows I watch on a weekly basis. Oh yeah, and okay. I said this as we watched that this would never happen in real life because what would they do is instead of having two people that are like sponsors and agree with the bill, mm-hmm. they would actually have a pro and against. And they'd both scream at each other and tear down each other's statistics, and and gotcha. Chuck Todd would 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 moderate over this this din of noise, and no one would learn anything. 
Okay. Like sometimes <laughs> that like, sounds about right. Like I think what you need to do, and I don't know why they don't do it more often, is like have a whole show dedicated, like some of these big topics, have a whole show dedicated to the pro side, and then a show dedicated to the con side, and then maybe you could have a debate show for a part three. Hmm. But like it's impossible to change anyone's mind or form an opinion when you just have people arguing and screaming. It is. I, I, I don't know. Obviously I have not been around long enough to see a time when this was not the case. Right. In my generation. I don't think it ever has been. I mean, do you see the, the, no, the movie you, Lincoln? Well, okay. Fair enough. But <laughs> as far as the media goes and news reporting goes, okay. you've got the people like Murrow who were actually doing, journalism and and just giving you the facts letting you make up your mind not trying to push an opinion one way or another Mm -hmm. this is a lot of editorializing this is a lot of opinionating and pontificating uh from from opposing sides i think morrow and cronkite one of the things that set their apart is it's not that they didn't editorialize is but they they weren't afraid to i guess take stands on things Really? Yeah, it's like it's not nothing is just the facts, but you 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 know you this this false ideal of there's two sides to every story. Well, let's have an anti-vaccinator and a vaccinator on and treat them as if they both have equal <laughs> merit. It's okay. crazy. It's sure. crazy. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what you know. There's you know a lot and you know a lot of people fucking way over idealize all that shit too. Um, you know that was in a whole different America. Yeah, I mean, if, and if, that America was not exactly a shining beacon of everything good and wholesome and free. Either. Sure, no, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I feel, I feel like maybe if you have that show that does that and says we're going to take a stance and take a side, well, another show is going to take another side, and you're still going to have the situation, but you're but, not going to have those people talking to each other. But that's a functional marketplace of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have now is just fake journalism and false. Uh, you know, fa- false compromises and false consensus sure. and echo chambers and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's all, you know, Illuminati, aliens, all that shit. <laughs> Lizard people. Yeah, hollow earth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't know how talk- we got there from I, I don't know. Let's talk about journalism. the episode. Uh, what did you think about the framework of this being essentially a flashback to... We open with the renewing of the wedding vows... And then it informs us that it's flashing backward a month. So we, mm-hmm. we, it's almost like in the beginning, mommy and daddy were fighting the last episode, but they still love each other very much. And we want you to know that it's going to be okay. And, and a little like, bit of how do they get there from here? Yeah. I mean, at one point it felt like I robbed it of tension because like when Claire and him were, and her were at Claire and Frank were at each other's throats later on in the episode. I'm like, well, hmm. we know this is going to end up in them wearing ice cream suits and saying pleasant things to each other and Gaffney. Sure, but it felt to me like the Breaking Bad episode where uh, Walter White goes into Tugo's headquarters. And blows it up. And blows it up. We saw the end of that story at the very beginning. Yeah. So you're thinking, how does that even get there? So there's another, uh, that's a that's a good one. There's another pair, one that we go to a lot is the 13 miles out or 11 miles out episode of The Walking Dead where they open with Rick and Shane fighting in the schoolyard and uh, zombies breaking yeah, out. Yeah. And we're like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I think that... The more compelling the situation you see the end state at, the more... So this yeah. is kind of like between those two. And the more disparity between yes. the end state and the beginning state. Yeah, I yeah. thought this was kind of between those two extremes. So to, I did too. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, so my default state is is kind of pointless and robbed attention. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's I, not I a see strong, why you say like that. I'm not pounding yeah. the table like Khrushchev style. I'm just <laughs> kind of like not sure we needed that. Sure. All right. Um. Yeah. What do you What do you think of uh, Claire with brown hair? Because she's right up right up front here. We see her with brown hair, which is probably the most shocking thing about that scene. Uh, not a huge fan. I think. Uh, yeah. I think Robin Wright looks the best and is most impressive as kind of an ice queen. And there's a lot of tricks they do. Yeah, like there's yeah. something that's kind of interesting about the way she does her hair. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just a straight pixie bob or anything. Like it's kind of like asymmetrical. And it's not quite the can I talk to your manager like bitch style haircut that's like stereotypical. I, and I can't picture that haircut, but okay. You can't? Uh-huh. You don't know the uh, let me talk to your manager haircut? Google it. It's a meme. <laughs> let me talk to your manager haircut? Yeah, can I, can I see your manager? Can I speak to your – it's the can I speak to your manager haircut? Okay. Uh, it's a variation of that. And also I feel like that the, the ice queen blonde hair but with the root showing <sighs> – adds okay. a level of kind of like uh you know that the, the the stupid fucking las vegas commercials that are like the bow, 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 uh-huh. right amount of naughty uh-huh. that's claire she's like hits all the buttons okay. um with brown hair she's just i don't know some not as impressive yeah she doesn't she's not as scary she's a little warmer certainly and approachable yeah. mm-hmm. which Maybe that's what they were going for. That, yeah, but that's, that's kind of what I don't want in my Claire, right? Yeah. Especially as a UN ambassador, I kind of want her to be seen as an intimidating <laughs> It's like imagine person. Walter White. Uh-huh. He starts off bald with a goatee, and then he gets <laughs> he cancer, gets... and he grows out the stupid mustache and the hair. It's like, that's what? 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 That's <laughs> not what I want to direction. see. Yeah. We're heading backwards, man. Come on, Claire. You're, you've turned into teddy bear. Sure. Sure. I, but I mean, that, maybe that's going along with franks what i see as a regression in frank's intimidation factor as well yeah he's he's wearing a colonel sanders outfit boss hog outfit he's he's getting very introspective and very i i don't know it's it's a different side of frank that i'm not used to you know especially when the writer is talking to him thomas and is bringing things out of him that we we don't even get a huge glimpse into you know yeah do you so what is the right thing to stay here is it true that that what frank said in a moment of despair as he's playing the stanley parable mm-hmm. uh, apparently unwinnable game that i like many others own on steam <laughs> and have never played yeah. uh he says that the this fight the scabs keep coming off and you can't take back some things yeah is that correct or is the renewing vows uh underwoods reforged united correct I, I think or, the Reforge United, like nothing lasts forever. I took to so you don't think to, there's going to address, be any nagging injuries left from this battle. There might be, but again, nothing lasts forever, and I think those will go away. Um, I I took it more. I mean, obviously Claire took it as a very positive thing too, right? This nothing lasts forever. Um, she at the end of the episode crawls into bed with him, and they both seem like they are willing to at least try to move past this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he took the step with the whole, you know, like you said, nothing lasts forever, which we had no idea. But that's like, I think, an homage to the classic House of Cards. Because when we got finished watching this episode, it recommended the classic House of Cards. And uh-huh. you're like, is that any good? And I'm like, eh. It's... I said, it might be amazing, but I couldn't make it through three episodes. And he's like, why not? And I'm like, you know what? Play five minutes of it. You will mm-hmm. you will, you will, see that even explaining. So we were watching it, and I was trying to get him the idea that this is just so dated. 
Yeah. Every sense of the word, the image quality, the costuming, the sets, the fashion, the teeth, everything was <laughs> 80s Britain. Yeah. And and yeah, it's also British. So but he did in one of his fourth, foreign. you know, his his uh fourth wall uh breaking monta- uh, monologue. It's, it's almost right at the very beginning of right the show. Right at the very like in the first minute he yeah. says he kind of shrugs and is like nothing lasts forever and mm-hmm. we're like, "Oh my god, I think we just saw an hom- uh, an homage there." Yeah. So, I mean, if that gives you any indication as to how this series is going to end, I I, I don't she... think Frank's presidency is going to last forever. Sure. And then uh, she jumped into bed with him and jetpacked him. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I I don't. And, know. I felt like I felt like part of that nothing lasts forever is him going to the FDR memorial and seeing you know Eleanor and Franklin uh, separate. He he, starts, this, he 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 takes it all in and says, "I'm gonna piss on this grave." <laughs> well, I when he said pay my, his respects, I, I must thought, pay my respects. Yeah. <laughs> Meacham, keep everybody back 100 yards. Actually, Meacham, can you crawl up on FDR's lap while I take my pants off? <laughs> I feel another three-way coming on. Oh, God. Then we'll walk down the monument and see about Eleanor. I think I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, but but he sees that, right? And he goes, you know what? Um, he it, it prompts him to reconnect with his wife. He sees that like this person built this uh really nice he he has like a memorial a really nice memorial to himself he obviously has a legacy that he's left the country with but at the same time his wife was alienated and it doesn't seem like frank wants to do that it seems like (laughs) frank wants in that moment to reconnect with his wife Mm. because he knows that this is not going to last forever and that he wants to spend some quality time much like the judge with the alzheimer's no he wants to spend some time with his family he realized like he's missed a month of life with his partner. Yeah. And they're and a good team. And how and much other things, how long is he going to let this play out and still keep missing these things? Because I, yeah. I went back. and I mean, I feel like when Frank, when they were having that conversation and he's talking about, I can't believe we become like everyone else. And they were like pissing, picking on each other's fights. I started to come down on or get, get pissed at Frank because I guess mm. in the, at the end of the day, I'm a Claire fan. I like Claire better than I like Frank. She, um, yeah, you might and, be right. And it's hmm. who started it. It's hard to say because she took like a principled stand. But on the other hand, we yeah. talked about how that is such a dereliction of the various duties that she signed up with both real express job description things and also just societal expectations. And her agreement with Frank. You know, she has but a, then she has Frank, an unspoken agreement to always support him as well as he support her. Yeah, but then Frank, you know, going going. I wish I'd never made you ambassador. And then, you know, I guess it's like also this was the episode of him coming to terms with her actual contributions. Mm-hmm. And you know, he. I guess I didn't. What, what the thing that turned me against him is when they're having that fight in the in the um, private quarters or whatever, and there's that really awesome scene of them coming off the plane and just going in their separate ways, and the doors bang shut at the same time. Yep. But they're having that fight, and he was like, the thing that seemed like pissed him off the most was the fact that she had the gall to suggest that she made him president. Yes. When to me, that's a factual statement. Mm-hmm. They worked seamlessly together to push each other to ever higher heights up to the top office of the United States. Yep. It did. It seemed like inarguable. And that was like the most unfair thing. Mm. Uh, and, and so it's like, I feel like he needed to come correct on that. And I guess he did with the painting picture. 
Yeah, I mean, at some point he realized that, you know, it was not just himself getting him to where he is. Leclerc was a huge part of that. So they make up. They make up. Uh, what else is there to talk about with lots of stuff with Frank and Claire? Presidential portrait. Uh, <laughs> okay. If I'm getting my presidential portrait, I uh-huh. want to be on like a white horse that's rearing up, and I want my hand in the air holding a saber. You want to be on the front of a fantasy novel, not and, and, a, not a presidential portrait. And, and the other, and maybe my shirt's half ripped off, and uh, I want like yeah, a, it's Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, what you want yeah, essentially, essentially, and like you know, the first lady is 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 riding pillion in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of legs showing. Yep. Why doesn't anyone ever do that? Because you're the president who says no. Because you're the president of the United States. Because that reflects poorly on your entire country. A <laughs> hundred years from now, when you're dead and forgotten and no one remembers your name, they're uh-huh. walking through the Smithsonian or taking the White House tour, and there's the all these presidents standing in front of mantles, and mm-hmm. then you have the glorious, especially if you're a peacetime president, and you just go for the the war hero portrait. Oh, People yeah. remember, they're like, there who the go. hell is that? I'm Wikipedia in him. Mm-hmm. Or whatever the Wikipedia of the 2100s are. On a are. horse with a maiden. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Especially uh, since everything was so staid, and then boom, this hits you. Yeah, I, I feel like when you have the fates of 300 plus million people in your hand, maybe that's not a great idea for you to do that. Although I would have one commissioned in secret. I would have artists come in and do some ridiculous paintings of me and mm. you know they unearth those 200 years later who really cares at that point that's true but oh my god if we find a picture of george washington like exactly in that pose it would be amazing uh can we talk about thomas yeah yeah who is playing whom in in this role i mean it seems like that frank is very clearly trying to dictate specific passages in the book mm-hmm. and then being kind of coy about oh you can't he's he says a fairly innocuous antidote and oh that doesn't make it into the memo and at one point thomas gets frustrated look like when are you going to stop bullshitting me and telling me the truth and he drops a you know he's like hey my whole first book was a lie and yeah. That definitely gave Frank pause, but then, you know, like, Frank's like, you have no idea my secrets, man. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you you stole half a, a, a dead gay man's book? Well, I murdered a congressman and shoved the reporter in front of a train, and I'm trying to track down this runaway whore right now, but she's wily, <laughs> and she's giving me quite the chase. Like, uh-huh. there's secrets, and then there's secrets. So where is this going? Uh... Well, I mean, it's very apparent that, you know, Thomas is trying to find the book that makes sense to write about this guy. Uh, And he knows he's being bullshitted. Frank knows he's bullshitting the guy. Um, He's trying everything in his power to get Frank to open up. And whether that be whiskey or anecdotes about his friend dying, uh, he's going to use everything he can to get it. I don't know exactly where I see this going. I I feel like with, with Frank sort of realizing um, a lot of things about himself here, he might open up a little bit and want to tell a different story, want to tell the true story of Frank Underwood. Yeah. Uh, through this, through this book. And this might be just the guy who can get him to open up and do that. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where it's going. I don't, I don't really see the overall point of having a book written about him yet. 
but we well, still have six episodes. It's in supposed this to sell Amworks, which in this episode, I feel like he's winning the PR battle because yes. you know it's status yeah. quo. It's like, hey, if they ever get their shit together in Congress, I'm going to veto it. If they override me, then I forget what is. Um, then I'll win in the Supreme Court. This or... book is going to take forever to write, though. There's no way this book comes out before his next presidential election. But that was the condition. I know, but I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, Books I take like... a long time. Getting a true story get takes a long time. Nah, I think. Yeah, getting I'd, I'd be surprised and... if it just goes away. Like it's going to come out, and I think it's going to be yeah, a bombshell, you... probably against Frank. You're probably right. That's not very realistic, though. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Okay. Um, let's see. What else do we have to talk about? Uh, what do you think about have his... to murder a writer this season? I was wondering about Is that. What's that. going to happen? Because man, Frank's going to be pissed. You made what... me look like a box of assholes. <laughs> Time to die. Can we talk about Kate and Tom? And it looks like that Kate is wanting to jump his uh, oh, yeah. book writing bones, mm-hmm. and he's playing playing right back at her. Mm, he's playing hard to get. I would say he is. But but she knows that he wants it. He knows that he wants it. Does he want it? Or he is... knows that she wants it. Yeah, every, everybody's in on this game here but that Kate, they're playing. Kate is the sworn enemy of the uh, Underwood presidency at this point. Yeah. Because she wants revenge for Aaliyah or whatever the hell mm-hmm. her name was. Uh, Ayla. Tom is an ally of Underwood's, at least now. So, like, clearly this is going to set up something where there's going to be some kind of conflict. That's I the thing. I don't think that I don't Tom know where is it's an ally. Going. I don't think Tom is an ally. I think Tom's there as a free agent. Yeah, he's a mercenary. Yeah, and, so and he's doing what Kate he's going to do. Co-ops him is 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 she's trying to obviously is what Tom's seeing in his presidency something he's liking or something he's not liking? Because I feel like he's starting to see things that he likes about this presidency. He likes the first lady a lot. Now mm-hmm. that he sees, like, this is a very, uh, you know, when you see moments like a Frank like this, it, it humanizes him. Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't know they're truly monstrous things about him yet. And I, I guess that's what I don't know, because... How like, far is he going to dig? Kate's going after him just on policy and stuff, but yeah. she has no idea the kind of radioactive waste that he's built his presidency on. Yeah. Either one of these two journalists get a hold of this, and, like, is the hammer going to get back involved? Are we going to see Hammer and Janine get back involved? This like it's going to be the be interesting, the fearsome foursome. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It depends on whether or not Frank can strategically give Thomas enough book without revealing the truly disturbing stuff about Frank. And and, and it feels like that's what he's trying to do. And these moments of you know, oh, I'm drunk and I'm revealing these things. Those are the moments where I don't think he's going to say anything that would incriminate him as far as like a crime, but he is willing to show a different side of Frank, and that's the thing that's attracting Thomas. Sure. And kind of getting him to say, okay, I like this guy a little more. What do you think about Michael Corrigan, uh, the gay rights activist widower, uh, sending Claire this flower package? Seems right on. But, you know, like... What was the... I guess what was the point? Because right, the, 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 I thought it was to say thank you for standing up for him. I get obviously. that, but I'm talking narratively. The point of focus was on Claire's mm-hmm. battle to make sure Francis didn't look like an asshole on the Jordan Valley thing. Mm-hmm. Was it the fact that she knew? Were we supposed to get that? Like this was a reminder of the cost that Frank paid for her principles, and now that like renewed the fire to make sure she held these people accountable to their word so that he wouldn't look like an asshole in the Jordan Valley thing. She couldn't let the Russians win on this. Could be. Yeah. Um, 
I don't I don't really have any other good guesses. So how did she know he, uh, he knows she liked tulips? I'm like fucking tulips for real. It'd be one thing if you liked <laughs> your favorite flower is snapdragons or asparagus or some shit like that. Asparagus. But like tulips is in the top three, right? You got uh, roses, tulips, and orchids. She says that every time she orders a steak and it comes with asparagus, she's like, "How did you know asparagus is my favorite flower?" <laughs> I'm like, "Come on!" <laughs> like, and plus, it's a morning. That's like a classic morning flower. Okay, you sure. Know? A tulip is not an uncommon flower for yeah. people to like. I just thought that was interesting, and I wonder if that's going anywhere. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think what else we, we got. Doug to talk about. There's a lot of Doug yes. shit going on here. What What about the the flinchiness in Claire? I really like how they they have her mention to Frank, you know, you're looking for things that aren't there. But that was actually stuff. there. It was actually there. And then she realizes that later on when she's talking to uh, the the person, I think, who's from Israel. I don't know what her position is. Um, but they're they're the working with Africa right. to kind of subvert this, this, uh, th- this thing that's going through the UN. Uh-huh. Uh, and she says basically the exact same thing to her. Uses the same line on her. Yeah. Looking for things that aren't there, seeing things that aren't there. And Claire realizes, no, that's not the case. And that, that's certainly not the case here. And I guess you're, you know, you're right. It wasn't the case with Frank either. But no, I, said I saw that. her fucking flinch. So yeah, yeah. Um, but but her realization, I thought at near the yeah, end was very sure. good. And I thought that was because if they didn't put that in there, then Frank just looks like a total asshole. <laughs> that was kind of like the way for them to be like, you guys are both inventing things and doing things on purpose yeah. to deny sure know. and that's a big part of why she comes home and then goes right into bed with frank which that's what i hate about any kind of relationship friends lovers whatever it's like if you're upset would you please fucking own the fact you're upset rather than be like i'm not upset mm-hmm. and i'm gonna continue acting like a dick <laughs> uh yeah just passive aggressive bullshit yeah sure yeah and it's like that's what i'm saying like i was kind of disappointed to see them becoming like everyone else <laughs> Now we talk about Doug, right? Yeah. Uh, Gavin is high if he thinks Doug is going to unfreeze his passport before he delivers Rachel. But he's got a picture of a, a Jewish woman in a bread line <laughs> during the Great Depression. During, during the Russian, <laughs> like, yeah, just some some mamushka. Uh-huh. No, seriously, he looks like a f- Russian grandmother. I, <laughs> she does. She's she about look- to break out in matchmaker, matchmaker. <laughs> I, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I don't know what's with the shawl. I don't know what's with uh, her face, but she has aged 25 years over the last season. I mean, they say the presidency ages you. It's a New Mexican you know, son. They say the presidency ages you, which I always thought that's interesting. It's like, look at a picture of Bush. Now look at a picture of Bush eight years older. Well, look at a picture of Aaron. Look at a picture of Aaron 10 years from now. It's a horror show. It's always a horror show. Like, I wish I could go time. back and punch my 20-year-old self. I'm like, dude, take off your shirt more. Get get a tighter bathing. You are never going – you actually look pretty good. You're never going to look better. And same way now, it's like as, as bad as you think you look, you're going to look like shit in 10 years. Like, people get old. The decade sure. does a lot of aging. Yes. But if if the presidential office ages you in dog years, it seems like being hunted by the office of the president <laughs> ages you in, like – gerbil years oh yeah she's looking she's fruit fly territory here <laughs> three weeks she's dead <laughs> uh but no doug's like nice try asshole i need an exact location yeah which makes sense like you know doug's like oh well i got an approximation of your passport unfrozen how about this now doug stamper is hooked into some kind of cctv feed while he's talking to dunbar on the phone uh 
This would be good. I don't I don't know how he got this feed. I don't know where this feed necessarily is from. It's apparently from New Mexico or something because he is watching and he thinks he sees Rachel crossing the street. Wait, I thought this was just these were just the various appearances that he was able to get. Like, I didn't think this was live. I thought this was... Oh, was there the, like a disc or something? He's got yeah, because the... that was a part of the things that we saw him uncover last episode. Okay. All right, so he's watching this video clip. Mm-hmm. He thinks he sees Rachel. I saw Zoe in this scene. You absolutely did. I think that is Zoe crossing the street. The, when you first said, I'm like, oh, fuck you. But then now, I'm like... Oh, there were like the aural hallucinations. So yeah, let's rewind and watch. It's I'm convinced it's Zoe. Yeah, so so we know that it's not obvi- it's not actually Zoe. Zoe's dead. Uh she got pushed in front of a subway train. Mm-hmm. But yeah, him hallucinating and seeing Zoe here, maybe he is haunted by the things that he has done at this point. And help do and things he knows and 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 also that he knows it, if he pursues this to his logical end, it is going to end to have the exact same outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And he's clearly bothered by that cuz he had something weird and disturbing with Rachel. Oh yeah. Very, I mean, it wasn't very like much uh, so. whiskey sprayed in the mouth, bourbon sprayed in the mouth weird, but it was still read to me <laughs> like my mom used to. Uh-huh. Why I weep and masturbate in a corner weird. Yeah, Stamper's a weird guy. Uh, no, no bourbon syringes this episode either. Plus, he paid her to give him a blowjob. And mm-hmm. they're like, there's, there's a lot of gross background between him and Rachel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know where else to go from here, but... Uh, uh, I feel like there's one other thing. Oh, oh, what about his physical therapist? Yes, that's the one I was going to go to. The, the party, boss, I like to call her. The boss? We are both on high alert. We're on we are on red alert about her being a spy. For Dunbar, yeah. And there's I there's also the I think another possibility, which is because I feel like there's a little bit enough of him being skeptical and being skeptical of her in general and the way he was performing to suggest that something else they might be going for is uh he's gonna suspect she's a spy. Because if he's still doing this Rachel thing, like he's still working for Frank. Like I feel like he's got to be working for Frank because why would he be trying to track her down and or kill her unless maybe he's trying to protect well, her? No, no. If he if he wants to track down Rachel as evidence to use against Frank, oh, turn turn Frank in. Say here's the shit and here's the person who the shit yeah. happened to. Uh, but the other thing is like if she genuinely loves him on a human level. Mm-hmm. And his paranoia and job destroys that, and he accuses her and <laughs> and becomes a crazy person. Then uh, that would also be kind of a very Dougie type storyline too. It would, it would, and kind of fitting like a, a poetic justice kind of way. Yeah, that's still way up in the air for me. Yeah, like, yeah I, I don't totally. know where that ball is going to fall, but at some point, it I feel like it has to. Sure. I mean, with with at least letting us know where his true allegiances lie, I don't think we've been told that firmly enough yet i buy that okay uh, i'm trying to think that's about it i mean it's so they're adults of a certain age they're in their late 30s early 40s i feel like it's weird when i see if she's going to stick around and not go to seattle because mm-hmm. i'm thinking like if i was in a situation where as a mature adult I decided that I'm going to, for whatever reason, for job, for career, for personal reasons, I'm going to go across the country. Yep. And I have a client that I hand off to someone else, immediately invite to a party, and then bone. That doesn't change my plans, right? I go yeah, to Seattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Like that's something if you were a well, college she, student. She didn't know about the rain. That changes her plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no you're you're right though. Yeah, I don't think she is going. It, assuming she is not lying about her intentions or whatever. Uh, ooh, ooh, that gives me an idea. What well, if I thought one thing I thought is like. But Albuquerque is not close enough to Seattle to because no. I'm like, well, you know, if it was or if she was lost in Oregon uh-huh. on the Oregon Trail, then, you know, he could work that into a visit. But Albuquerque is not particularly close to Seattle. Seattle is not particularly close to anything. No, I was wondering if maybe she is a spy. She's lying about going to Seattle and she's going to be spotted somewhere around D.C. still by him. But I no, I she, don't know. Yeah, I was going to say if she's going to spy on him, she'd be like. In a couple couple situation, yeah, that would be ideal. I don't know. I got my like eye. Frank and I got my eye on the boss. Yeah, I'm deeply sure. skeptical of the boss and her motivations. Can we talk a little bit about how the plot was advanced in this episode? Sure, because we didn't talk about like Africa and Israel and how they they were Israel was putting some pressure on uh, Africa to come in and like say, "Hey, we want control of the troops." Every, You're right; it all gets unraveled the at the end. end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, just like. It feels like the idea that anyone would seriously suggest that Zimbabwe is put under, you know, the supreme allied commander, like mm-hmm. that's kind of ridiculous in the same way that sure. someone suggesting Greece or, I don't know, uh, the Guam. Like there's <laughs> there's no... There's no command and support structure. There's no infrastructure. Uh-huh. It's just a. I, I feel like I wish they'd come up with a less ridiculous suggestion for that. Well, I, I mean that was, yeah. I I don't know. It was kind of the point, but I, I'm trying. Maybe to... it's a poison pill, and maybe they just want a shorthand for poison pill. I mean that that is the thing, right? Like they don't want this to pass, and so adding this amendment to it. People yeah, are going to, it, on the face of it, say, no, no, that's not happening. Forget that. Yeah, like, what what, what nation state would you put there that would be believable and yet still ridiculous? Like, But they didn't want something believable, right? Yeah, I guess. They wanted something in your face. It made Israel seem very heavy-handed yeah. or, like, not very subtle. And maybe that's yeah. what they wanted. They which, wanted... which is fine. It, it makes, you know, for, for the people who maybe don't, wouldn't understand if, like, uh, a Greece were mentioned there or something, mm-hmm. myself included— uh, I wouldn't either. Like, I'm th- trying to think, like, Iceland? Like, like, people who wouldn't get the point that this is clearly just there to sabotage yeah. that, that I bill. feel like you find that you you find that it, it, you need a NATO, like, a NATO power would probably, you know, one of the lesser NATO powers would still raise eyebrows, but, you know, I don't know. But they don't want to raise eyebrows. They just want to kill the thing. Yeah, true. True. So, I feel like it was good. It was fair enough shorthand for the audience. Uh... So so cultural exchange is happening, which implies that the Tibetan monks are here in the White House doing their thing. Therefore, somebody is over in Tibet from the U.S. doing their thing. Who do you think it is and what do you think they're doing the over there? The cast of the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and they're, they are they're fist all... bump, chapstick, uh-huh. and GTLing it. Uh, okay, I like it. Uh, and that will be the death of the sand mandalas. <laughs> <laughs> that cultural infect and destroy uh-huh. the beautiful, spiritual, moving culture. Three years from now, it's just Tibetan monks in tank tops and, and grease back hair. Acid, wa- acid wash jeans. Uh-huh. Uh, and they've and built a boardwalk across the top of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> 
There you go. Perfect. Solved it. They're all selling hot pink <laughs> t-shirts with rude sayings. Oh, on. God. All right. That, that's it for the episode, right? Yeah, we got feedback. Let's do it. We have feedback, son. Uh, Liz G said on podcast on the podcast for Chapter Thirty One, you mentioned the character of Frank's secretary not see, and not seeing her, and here's the reason why. She directed me to a People dot com article that says Elizabeth Norbit or Normant, the seasoned TV actress who most recently starred as an unflappable Beltway secretary on season two of The House of Cards, has died hmm. at the age of sixty one. Uh, Will uh, Bo Williman released a statement saying everyone here at the House of Cards production is deeply saddened by Elizabeth's passing. She was a talented actress and a warm soul and a good friend to us all. Uh, she has had a long career that spanned both stage and screen. Uh, she hailed from the Yale School of Drama, was a founding member of the American Repertory Theater. Uh, she also appeared on a slew of TV shows, including L.A. Law, ER, Party of Five, and had a recurring role as a judge on Law Order from 2002 to 2008. I was kind of surprised that they didn't address that in the story or... Yeah. And also, I I kind of thought maybe there would be a dedication. Like before, yeah, like I, I and, so. and if we saw one, I didn't, uh, I feel like if there was one, I would have uh, researched it and found this out. But I'm, I'm kind of surprised they didn't make note of this. Did it happen between seasons or? It did. Okay. Uh, I think she died in October of last year. But okay. still, there's yeah. nothing, literally nothing that would prevent them from season one black screen before or after the show saying, you know, in more, you know, yeah, in memorial one. of. Sure. But uh, so that, that explains it. And now I'm bummed out. Hmm. All right. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. It's, uh, you know. Uh, maybe we should do more Tibetan uh, sand paintings, sand mandalas. That's what we're doing for lunch with Jim and Aaron next week. <laughs> we should totally try for the that. next like eleven weeks. <laughs> no, we'll get the starter kit. We'll get the, the starter six, six by six. six. Yeah. All right, and we'll do it as fast as, and we'll make it a competition. Oh, we'll completely perfect. destroy every. I, piece I think of we the should actually exchange. do that. Yes. <laughs> I feel like man. I feel like an asshole because it's a beautiful thing, man. Sure. Like I feel like I'm throwing acid and. In a mo- supermodel's face or something. Do, do you feel like that when, like, if you were to tr- start painting or something? No, because I'm not misappropriating a cultural phenomenon with deep religious and philosophical significance and then perverting it. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you perverting it if you're... To make it into a competition and exploiting it for commercial oh, purpose. Well, and... we don't have to compete. We can just do it. <laughs> we will. Oh, boy. Um... Because I can Mandela the hell out of out of you. I can Mandela circles around you, buddy. Yeah, but you Literally could. circles, I... interlocking circles with complex <laughs> geometric patterns, <laughs> multiple layers, and uh... yeah, three dimensional height and depth. Yeah. That was a really impressive thing. The three D aspect of that. I I can't get enough. Amazing. Uh, Mister Rock and Rock says no. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I almost said no, Welly. Whoa, Nelly! This is a doozy that got me really worked up. I seem to share the overall taste with y'all. He's clearly diverged when it comes to specifics. An episode or scene I enjoy you'll not appreciate, and one that <laughs> I, you love I'll sometimes hate. It's, it's the way of the world, man. Yep. I'm really curious to see how you come away from this one. Uh, as for me, I'll tell you how I really feel. Here are the issues I had with this. Undercover McFoyle. I had no issues with how the scenes unfolded. I think he's talking about... Gavin. Gavin, yeah. Yep. And you, what was Gavin's name, last name? Orsay. You, wow, I can't believe you got that. Um, I, I on the surface, I don't know why. on the surface, I liked what Max played and how he played it, but I thought about it the the more I found some things to question. I understand why the writers have to do this, but the extent of Max acting chops are hella unrealistic. 
He's not just making up a story and telling it with a straight face. He's going deep, deep undercover and trying to finesse a tangentially relevant info from a lesbian Christian. To do so, she's pro- he's projecting suppressed psychological issues obvious enough for his mark to recognize, but subtle enough for her not to question. Mm-hmm. He's also pulling off some serious anguish despondency while crying on command about testing HIV positive. Again, I realize why it's necessary for this story, but in real life, what he did is incredibly difficult for average Joes and even trained actors to execute. I'd agree. He's a social engineering expert. What can you say? Uh, but, but no, I, I broadly agree. I... You know, it didn't hit me how difficult that must be for him and what, what kind of toll it was taking on him until he said it this episode. Yeah, and that's... Like, a- pretending you have AIDS is a terrible, horrible thing to do to somebody to get information out of them. I It didn't register that that was a, such a hor- horrific thing. Yeah, really. and also I feel like that they're, they got a little twisted up with the... I mean, clearly I think this is one of those shows where they kind of make things up as they go along. Mm-hmm. Because it is a very... I'm not saying they don't exist, but a slightly fundamental, extremely evangelical Christian sect that has like a Sunday school teacher lesbian. That's not a big that's that's not a that's not a huge market segment, right? No, no not at all. And I feel like that they didn't have all that fleshed out before they're like, oh, let's make them lovers. So now mm. you've got this still back weird backstory, and now she's also. Yeah. Uh, and a, 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 a sexual disease advocate, and you know, plan. She's <laughs> an all about advocate for sexual. No, I'm diseases. just saying she's not not an advocate, <laughs> but she's all about getting tested and wearing okay. condoms and stuff. It's like, good lord, yes. you're like the one percent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's into some some things most people aren't into. Interesting combinations, like yeah. straight edgers. I don't get straight edgers either. All right, like you got the punk lifestyle, but you don't do sex, drugs, or rock and roll. Well, I guess they do the rock and roll. They do. Yeah, they do. The, the sex and, and drugs they stay away from. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, just don't get it. My dinner with Corrigan. Uh, the profound back and forth between Claire and Corrigan was where I felt betrayed by House of Cards bait and switch. This was not the show seasons one and two geared me up for. This is basically a stage play performed by a hipster doofus and the collective gravitas of Robin Wright and the man who played Corrigan was unable to sell it. Yes, Breaking Bad gave us the fly, but that felt authentic and reigned true to the characters. Oh, and it was architected by Team Villigan. This attempt to wax philosophic about gay rights, principles, marriage, fairness, etc. was so basic. The points and counterpoints weren't deep or compelling and were barely worthy of points on a high school debate. I do not agree. I I don't either, but... Like, this individual scene, but the whole episode as a whole, I thought, got me thinking a lot of things deeply in geopolitical terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also hated how artificially smart they were supposed to be. Claire's bluffing her way to the removal of the bug... Corrigan smugly assuming he's read his, she's read his FBI jacket, both one-upping each other at every turn by telling the other how they truly feel despite what they just said. For me, it was not charming, smart, or a deep conversation about the complexity of world issues or a battle royale between intellectual giants who'd finally met their matches. So was, he hated last episode. Uh, he, he hated a lot of parts of it. Uh, continuing with uh, the real Petrov. So Petrov is secretly a social liberal and his homophobia is simply political calculus. What an interesting reveal. Here's another out-of-character character character revelation, and for what? Was it to soften Petrov? If so, it didn't feel real. If anything, it felt like a weak device to educate the audience about the complexity of gay rights legislation behind the scenes. I didn't buy it. Perhaps I've been spoiled by the way Sorkin did things. He handled the subject more deftly with Jed Bartlett at that Hollywood fundraiser. Talking about West Wing? Yeah, I guess so. I haven't seen it. Um, I don't know, man. I I liked it. I I think it's... 
I don't know what Putin is like in real life, but I guess I've always assumed a certain cynicism. Like, there's no way someone is this powerful and rich with this many connections and doesn't have some gay people that they know and respect. Hmm. I just, I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but it feels like that anytime you kick around these conservative quarters, they all have some skeletons in their closet that, you know, they've made personal exceptions for. Um, This is just taking one leap forward. And this guy's actually got, you know, makes the further connection. It's like, it's not just my cousin who's a gay person's okay. All gay people are okay. I just am forced by this system I'm in to act like they're not. Okay. So I don't um, have a problem with it. Fine, fine from that angle. I, I think it's also, anytime you see a mainstream show doing something like this, you're going to necessarily get a watered, slightly watered-down version of it. Sure. Even Even the stuff that you want to stand up and applaud, it's going to be slightly watered down from the real conversations that are going on in the real space that is daily concerned about this stuff. Sure. So, I mean, I don't know what his background is with this, but if that's, in fact, like what he's doing a lot and then having these discussions and talking with people who are closer to the issue, yeah, you're not going to get those a super nuanced view on mainstream television. That's a that's a good point as well. His final point on Claire's meltdown, he goes, uh, Rock, The Rock said, let's talk about suicide revelation. In a way, I envy the viewer who can watch that and gasp. I honestly do. I simply found myself questioning logistics. How on earth did Claire sleep <laughs> through that? Ding. Fine, it's a more powerful reveal than something that like that that happens almost literally under your nose, but come on. And don't get me started on that scene she made at the presser. This is not the Claire Underwood that we were sold in the previous seasons. Ding. I agree with that. The Corrigan's words and death moved her that moved her was ah, the, that Corrigan's words and death moved her so was a betrayal of her character. She was not that brittle, and his words were not that profound. That she lost at the Kremlin on live television in front of the Russian president was so much was so much at stake was another betrayal. I broadly agree. When it comes to such stakes, she's as pragmatic and calculating as they come. But the final betrayal was her justification of her actions to Frank. Her argument was not a clear Underwoodian argument. This crisis of conscience was not even close to earn, and her predictable retort of, I should have never made you president, did not salvage it. I did like Frank's fourth wall break here, but even that was not enough. They're obviously taking her character to another place, but they're sabotaging her character on route. On route. Unless I, I, I don't I don't totally agree here. I don't either. Unless I'm mistaken, if you take a peek out of the Air Force One window, I think you might make out a faint image of a shark that is flying over. Nah. Nah. I, I think your characterization of Claire is not correct, frankly. Um season one, Claire is a very caring person, and her no, she's always char- her charities things. were not just a cover to help Frank out or anything. They were gen. She was genuinely doing things that she thought was important, and that it happened to help Frank was a benefit. But I don't and, see. I don't know but that she I, had her own mission there too. I don't even know that I agree with you that far. But I will say that it, the Frank is Claire's always been the one that feels things profoundly and then goes against her humanity. Where Frank is mm-hmm. able to, it's not that he doesn't have any fellow feeling for anyone, but once you get on his shit list, you become an unperson, and he can do unspeakable things. And pretty much everyone is on his shit list. And and all, and and then just not really be that tra- traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. But Claire always, I feel like Claire is the one that feels the weight of her actions. So this was just a bridge yeah. too far for her. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but thanks for the email. Uh, 
it's always good to get other people's experiences. Sure. And I'm not saying my opinion is right on that. Hell no. I'm just saying that's my opinion. So, uh, Brett from Brooklyn. With Rachel disappearing in New Mexico, perhaps she's seeing a vacuum repair man about a dust filter for a Hoover. I, I had a question about the whole Gavin plot. Namely, where does that he find time to do any of this stuff? It's been already established that he has to sneak around and take multiple taxis just to meet Stamper. Uh, and that he's under tight security at work, a minor slip-up away from federal prison, but he seems to be able to carry out his hanging-out relationship slash intricate in-person scam with Lisa. He just seems to have a lot of leeway for someone with very little leeway. I I think the thing that is not super apparent here is the amount of time that passes between each episode. Well... Which affords him a lot of opportunity to do these things. Because, hmm. I mean, the, between each episode, there are weeks. Weeks and weeks. Uh, sometimes months. Yeah, that's true. Like this was a a month. Yeah. So in a month, could Gavin get away with doing a little snooping and having one clandestine meeting? I think so. Over the course of an entire month. Yeah, I don't know. If anything, I'm thinking that they didn't show a lot of things that he was doing with uh, Lisa, and I, I I felt like this is legitimate. It's it's something that raised my eyebrows in retrospect, but I didn't get it in the moment. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something we talk okay. about a lot on The Walking Dead. Once, a sh- if a show hasn't broken your suspension of disbelief, then the thing, the little things that that have kind of slightly tripped it up are not apparent. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. soon as it does break your suspension of the belief, suddenly the whole thing's laid bare, and you can see the artifice yeah. of it all. And <laughs> the- it's now it's like. And that's why you get people the to jump get, the shark moment. That's yeah. the where people get outraged if they still are in the suspension of disbelief. It's like, oh, you're just uh-huh. fucking nitpicking. Whereas the nitpickers are saying, look at all these things. Why our suspension was was broken? Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. Uh, Thomas W. Uh, sent in uh, an email that said, "I like your comments about Air Force One having a picture window for the president. The Obama administration is ordering the next plane to replace the current one that Reagan ordered." There are actually two planes in the fleet, and the Air Force has set aside $1.65 billion for two 747-8s. Jesus! For that kind of crash, they sh- the cash they should have... Ooh, $800 crash. million each? Uh, for that kind of cash, they should have picture windows and disco balls. Yeah, they should. Um, I imagine that the President's 747 has some pretty sophisticated shit in it. Except for picture windows. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, I did some little research on this. Uh, the 747 is obviously the largest American-made airplane, and it's the longest mm-hmm. in history. Uh, I believe the the Airbus 380 is a light, a little bit wider hmm. uh, from wingspan perspective. Um, it's a third generation of the venerable 747 with a lengthened fuselage, redesigned wings, and improved efficiency. It's uh, the largest version of the 747, the largest commercial aircraft built in the U.S., longest passenger aircraft in the world. Um, in 2007, the United States Air Force was seeking to upgrade the Air Force One by replacing the Boeing BC-25s, which are two heavily modified 747-200B classes. In 2009, Boeing was reported to be exploring a 747-8 proposal, along with a 787 Dreamliner variant. On January 28, 2015, this is breaking news, folks. The Air Force announced a selection of the 747-8 to replace the aging VIC-25s for presidential transport. Uh, Secretary uh, Air Force Secretary wow. Deborah Lee James said, this is the only aircraft manufactured in the United States that, when fully missionized, meets the necessary capabilities established to execute the presidential support mission. Meaning, cr- meaning that it has... Uh, 
expanded bathrooms and a movie theater. Well, here's the thing. Um, the, this thing, its cruising speed is Mach 8 point, or 0.85. Oh, okay. Oh 85% of the speed of sound. Its maximum speed right, so is... It's like 600 miles an hour? That is uh, 570 miles an hour. 570? Okay. Depending on your altitude and all that, but whatever. Yep. Its maximum speed is 0.9 Mach, almost the speed of sound. It can go 8,000 nautical miles, which is 92,000, or not 80,000. Go 8,000 nautical miles or 9,200 actual miles without refueling. Hmm. Uh, and has a, a, a payload of like 300,000 pounds. So it can hold a lot of gear, a lot of dudes, a lot of weapons and countermeasures, and it's fucking fast. All of it boils down to lots of gear, lots of dudes, fucking fast. <laughs> and Meachams. Frankly, when you're reading models, I'm just hearing wah 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 that sort of thing. <laughs> See, I'm I'm a huge fan of aviation, so I thought that was interesting. Okay, cool. So fuck off. Uh, Liz G says, I, have you heard if there's going to be a fourth season of House of Cards? I've heard rumors, but I've intentionally stayed away because I feel like if I hear that there's a season four, mm-hmm. that I will know kind of how the season's going to go. Like, if there's a season four, yeah. then Frank's not dying and or disgraced. And he's probably going to win the presidency again and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, I am I mean, I only got another, like, a week of this stuff to before I can start kind of spoiling myself on next season, if there mm-hmm. is one. But, no, I, I have no idea. Uh, so... One thing that probably doesn't tell us much, but um, if you go to IMDb and you look at House of Cards, you can see that there is a episode one scheduled for season four on there. But that's, what did I just say? But that I just <laughs> that is not necessarily ironclad, right? Like IMDb has been wrong and is wrong often. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. Never should have made you co-host. <laughs> take that with a grain of Tibetan monk sand. Oh, well, that's impressive. Um, Liz G also says she was surprised that the rift between Frank and Claire was resolved so quickly and a little disappointed. I like the idea of them being at odds with one another. Are you surprised that they kind of healed this rift pretty quickly? It seems like there's a a lot of interesting dramatic possibilities with them being at odds historically. There is, certainly. Uh, Although it seems well within their characters to do so. Yeah, true. To heal this, this rift between them. It's happened before. To see it happen again was not that shocking. Uh, she was thinking that uh, this would be kind of lead to their downfall, but now that they're all healed up, um, she's concerned with Thomas, the writer, seeming untrustworthy and thinking that his involvement in their lives is going to hurt them both and in somehow. Hmm. I think we're on that same train track of thought, too. You think he could just throw Thomas out of Air Force One? Like, I'm trying to think what's more dramatic. First, you get the the car then you get the subway now the airplane what does the press because that's i've been thinking about the secret service a lot and how the fact that they're essentially armed butlers and anytime (laughs) heavily armed butlers and and Uh, and trained to kill people with like all manner of weapons if you believe tom clancy like telescoping batons Mm -hmm. not i mean they're just like bad magazines they're badasses right born identity and and when they roll up with the president and they've got like six suvs and there's like 20 agents i'm thinking like given a determined attacker and i feel like i've just become part i'm on some list now you are Mm-hmm. But given a determined attack, oh, like, oh, oh, that put you on a list? No, you already were on the oh, list. Oh, okay. Well, this puts me at the top. Yep. How many determined attackers could the team like that repel? Uh, like so, 20 SS, uh, ooh, that sounds right. 20 Secret Service agents versus, I don't know, 
50 dudes with submachine guns, like um, 50 dudes with machine you know, die guns. hard style, like some kind of Eastern oh, European man. villain, a Hans Gruber. Are, are they, I was going to say, are they in dump trucks? Like, no, are they driving through the sewer system of a city? Uh, I, I don't. 50 with submachine guns that's a lot of bullets but i'm guaranteed those i'm like what the hell do those suvs do they have like rocket propelled grenade launchers that they they detach from the ceiling they they clearly got to have some pretty heavy weaponry in (laughs) them right those cars they're not james bond cars yeah but they're all bulletproof (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, i I imagine they could take at least two to one at least two to one I would think probably more than that. More? Because it was shocking. Like, if you read Black Hawk Down, it is shocking yeah. how much ass 100 Rangers kicked in a whole hostile city. Yeah, but you didn't have the hostile city armed with submachine guns. No, they had AK-47s and... Some of and, them, and not tri- all of them. And, and vehicle-mounted heavy machine guns and mortars, and yes, it's impressive. <laughs> it was impressive. It was. That, that was very impressive. Anyway, uh, where was what were we talking about? This is seven forty seven. No, this was uh, something about the Secret Service. God damn it! Oh, let's go on the next podcast. Um, <laughs> I agree. Next pod. No, the next <laughs> next feedback. And this oh, is this okay. is a truly shocking email. This 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 had me questioning my entire involvement. Oh my god! In covering this podcast, Zachary G said, "I've never listened to your podcast prior to the season." But I must say that I'm thoroughly enjoying it thus far and think you guys do a great job. That's what blew my mind. What the hell am I doing? Uh, and he also appreciates our new release schedule. He goes, but one thing that's bugged me, perhaps because I go to school near Frank's hometown, is that you keep referring to Frank's home state as Georgia. It's not Georgia. It's South Carolina. Gaffney, South Carolina, if we want to get specific. You mentioned it in Chapter mm. 31 episode, and I let it slide. But then you mentioned it again in later, later episodes. I decided I couldn't bite my tongue any longer. We assumed he was a senator from Georgia just because of the peachoid, I'm convinced. So I I didn't assume that he was the senator for Georgia. He's not a senator, I, he's representative, the, first of all. I, yeah, okay. Don't, well, you, said, don't, you said senator did too. I? So, yeah. Oh well, let's <laughs> let's nip this th- that mail in the bud. All right. So I didn't assume he was a representative for Georgia. I thought his hometown was in Georgia. I thought it was in Gaffney was in Georgia. No, wrong. And yeah, you you know the peachoid you'd think because like you know Georgia's yeah. peaches. But and he takes him to his hometown here and shows him the land the that his family farm owns and, and says the peaches wouldn't take. And, yeah. yeah, and I'm thinking Georgia, Georgia. Well, if that peaches. farm had been in Georgia, it took it off like a like a like a champ. Oh yeah, like a charm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I did a little research and I found an article about the peachoid. It says it was commissioned by the Gaffney Board of Public Works, who had a need for elevated water storage and wished to find a way of building it using federal funding. Okay. The shape of the peach was selected because the Gaffney economy was then dependent upon peach orchards hmm. and because the people of the town wanted to make it clear that South Carolina and at one time Cherokee County alone, where Gaffney is located, produced more peaches per year than the entire state of Georgia, <laughs> which is known as the peach state. Well, people well, you of failed. Gaffney, you fucking failed because <laughs> project was a failure. That is amazing. And yet I did not know it. Yep. I did not know it. Now we do, though. We will help you in your propaganda project. Well, what it is is you need to get you need to get all your big cities to have every fucking street named something along Peach Pit Street, Peach Street, Peach Avenue, Peach Boulevard, Peach Pit, Peach Peach Tree. God damn, Atlanta! You scary. You're right. You're right. Uh, Okay, feedback we got. That's on us, man. We yeah, we assumed too much there. We assumed too much. 
Okay, cool. Let's end the episode. We'll tell people where they can contact us. House of Cards at baldmove.com. I always say House of Cards. House of because Cards. Because I'm a redneck hick. But it's House of Cards at baldmove.com. You can get on our forums where I've conveniently created a thread for every episode. Uh, and you can keep everything spoiler free and segmented like that at forums.baldmove.com. Of course, you can get on our Facebook site and comment on facebook.com slash baldmove for all of the podcast episodes. And you can holler at Jim or tweet, as they call it, on yeah. Twitter at baldmove. All right. Sounds good. We'll be back uh, in a couple days with another one of these things. Monday, I think. Yep. It's another one of these. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. Thank you.